And so uh, this week, uh, well, for those of you that are new, my name is Brantley Johnson. I'm the executive pastor here at Momentum Church, and uh, our lead pastor is on vacation. And uh, we've been in a three-week series called Get Some, and uh, it's been an awesome series on spiritual authority, if I do say so myself, which I do say so myself. <laughs> today, uh, t- say it again. Yeah, there we go. So today, what I'd like to do, I, and I, I do want a show of hands on this, and I know that not everybody's going to raise their hand, but have you, ever, have you ever experienced, like, whenever you walk into a business or somebody's house, and, like, you don't know why, but you, you just feel like, ugh. Show of hands, you ever felt that? Oh, a lot of you. Perfect. Listen, today, what I want to do is I want to explain, like, why you're feeling that, okay? Um, because there's a, there's a very significant spiritual authority reason why you're feeling that whenever you walk into somebody's house, uh, why you walk into a business, or maybe why you travel through a city or a neighborhood or something like that, and you feel that way, and there's no good reason for feeling that way. You just feel it. Um, and so that's what I want to do today. And um, so the way that we're going to start this today, though, is that I've got to talk about painting a little bit, right? I, I know. I, so I worked for a painting company for a while. I'm a dang good painter. Anybody in here like painting? Like not? No, 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 no. Like like artistic painting or like painting walls? Nobody likes painting walls. Okay, she likes painting walls. I hate painting walls. I'm dang good at it though. Like. You're not supposed to boast about things, but that's not anything spiritual, so I think it's okay for me to say, like, I'm awesome at painting. <laughs> but I, I absolutely hate it. So, you know, it, it, here's the thing. If you think that you're a bad painter, probably what the problem is is that you're just buying terrible paint. If you buy really good quality paint, it's much easier to paint. And so that's really my secret. I buy really good quality paint, um, and that way I only have to paint the daggum wall one time. I do not, like... It makes me, like, twitch inside thinking about painting a wall twice. I feel such a lack of efficiency in what I'm doing if I have to repaint a wall again. And so uh, we move into our house, and I, I'm no longer working for Sherwin-Williams. I'm working for a different company. And, um, and so we move into the house that we have now, and I, our daughter's room, our son's room, they, they both need painted. And uh, like immediately they need to be painted before we even move furniture in. It's, it's bad. So I need to paint their room. So I go to Home Depot. Now, I've never bought Home Depot paint before, which they do, by the way, have really good quality paint, but I did not get that, <laughs> apparently. And so I go up to the paint lady that's there, and I'm like, hey, you know, never bought paint from you guys. I'm looking for like a mid to upper tier kind of paint. I don't need your top paint, but I need mid-upper tier paint. What, what can you recommend? So she recommends this paint. Honestly, I couldn't even remember what it was to warn you um, because I erased it from my memory. So I get home, and seriously, I start putting the paint on the wall, and it's like water with food coloring in it. And I'm going over a light color, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I know what I'm doing. Like, you ever have that moment where you know what you're doing, but you're trying to self-talk? Like, okay, Brantley, you can do this be better than the paint today, you know, like, so I'm trying to paint, and it's not working, and so I let it dry, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe I did something wrong, because surely there cannot be paint this terrible in the world, and so I go, and I, pu- I apply a second coat, and I can still see straight through that paint, so I take it back up to Home Depot, and I set it up on the customer service desk, and this lady was not having a good day already, and then I walk in, and so I'm nice, but I was like, hey, I need to return this paint. And she said, well, we don't return mixed paint. I was like, okay, here's the thing, though. This is really terrible paint. 
Like, y'all shouldn't even sell this. It's so bad. And she said, well, I'm sorry, but we don't return mixed paint. I said, okay, I know how this game works. Let me talk to somebody else. And she said, well, you can go talk to the paint manager. And I said, perfect. So I grabbed my gallon of paint. I head back to the paint manager, and I set my, my bucket up on the counter, and he walks over. What can I get for you today? And I said, well, I need you to return this, this paint and get me better paint. And he said, well, we don't return mixed paint. And I said, well, you look like you've done this for a long time. You look like you have a lot of experience with painting. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this gallon of paint, go back and try to paint anything with it, and then come back and tell me that you're not going to return it. And he said, all right, well, this is actually the worst gallon of paint in the world. I can't even believe that we sell this. So I'm going to go ahead and return it for you. And I'm like, thank you very much. That's a true story. I did. I told him, go, you go paint something and then tell me you're not going to return it. But that's because I understand, like, how business works in general, right? I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I mean, literally, the paint was terrible. They should never have sold this mess. And so I understand generally how business works, right? They want to take care of their customers. If they don't give me products that are useful for my life, then I stop buying, which, you know, for Home Depot, not that big of a deal if Brantley doesn't go and buy, you know, a couple of hundred dollars worth of stuff every year, right? Uh, But... What ends up happening, though, is like if I were to get a bunch of people, right, and, and, and we all say, forget Home Depot, we're going to buy from somebody else, right? Well, now, all of a sudden, we become like a bigger impact to their bottom line. And, and so then we, let's just, let's just carry this whole ridiculous scenario out, okay? So then we get like all of Woodstock to rebel against the Home Depot. <laughs> I never liked your kids' crafts anyway, drag me out every first Saturday of the month, right? So we rebel against Home Depot and Woodstock, all right? And, and so now, all of a sudden, Woodstock Home Depot has to shut down because they have no more business. Well, that doesn't affect the whole country, right? But now, all of a sudden, we get real crazy. We get everybody within the state of Georgia to start rebelling, And now, a whole bunch of people in Georgia have rebelled against Home Depot. They're going to Ace. Nobody goes to Ace. They go to Lowe's, I guess, right? And, and so they start buying from Lowe's and said, now, now Home Depot in the state of Georgia goes out of business. We expand it out across the nation, and we eventually put Home Depot out of business. Well, here's the thing. The spiritual world works a lot like that, okay? As, as we start looking at how the spiritual world operates, uh, we need to understand that uh, similarly, we have a little bit of power by ourselves. Then we start uh, increasing the numbers and we have more power. We increase our numbers and we have even more power and authority over people, right? And, and over the situations in our lives. And, and so, If we go back, though, right, let's go back to last week. Last week, we talked a little bit about the idea that if you could see a demon, you wouldn't want to worship a demon, right? Nobody wants to, like, actively go out and worship a demon, okay? But what ends up happening is that uh, these demons will uh, inhabit the spaces that we create idols, okay? So they, they look for an opportunity to partner with whatever it is that you're giving your worship to, and then they inhabit that, all right? But, and so while that helps us understand ourselves, we need to understand, too, that as we enslave the flesh, it goes way beyond just us, okay? It goes way beyond just us, and it it goes actually into 
uh, the majority. It goes into more people, okay? And, and we can see this in Leviticus chapter 26. Uh, it's not on the screen, but you can go check it out for yourself. Leviticus 26, it talks about how whenever we're pursuing God and we are worshiping God, that five of us will chase a hundred, and a hundred of us will chase 10,000. And so what ends up happening is that whenever our hearts are spiritually aligned, at, you know, let's just say me and Brandon, right? Brandon, you're already a big dude. You could take a, you could take a few people. I, I might be able to take one scrawny guy. You could take probably like 10 guys, right? So, but together, where I could take one and you could take 10, whenever you and I come together in the spiritual world and our hearts are aligned, now all of a sudden we're taking on 50. Because spiritually, we compound Whenever we get together. Now, the problem here, though, is that it also goes the other direction. All right, I'm going to let that sink in for a second. The, the problem is, is that it can also go the other direction. Where we can come together and worship God and chase uh, compounding amounts of enemies away from us, the other side can hold true as well. Whenever we come together in accord with uh, spirits that are not from God... Well, now all of a sudden, our spiritual power can start to elect spirits that are not from God over us. So, we know from Scripture that uh, there are different uh, demonic presences. There are different spirits that can inhabit people, right? We can see that in Scripture, Right, where they possess somebody, we've seen where people have demons cast out of them. Right, we've also seen where there are some demonic spirits that, you know what, uh, even the disciples, the people that were closest to Jesus, were not powerful enough to remove those demonic presences. Now, we also see, and this is where it gets crazy, okay, is everybody ready for something crazy? We can also see in Scripture where demonic presences can inhabit whole territories, like physical land territories, like such as maybe your neighborhood, maybe such as a business, such as a city, such as a state, such as a nation. Let's, let's go down the crazy train, all right? Go with me to uh, Psalm 125. Psalm 125. <clears throat> you know, I love this because this was just in my regular uh, devotion time uh, that I was reading through this this week. You know, I knew that this sermon was coming up, and then the Lord was like, hey, buddy, I'll help you out a little bit with your normal devotion time. Uh, Psalm 125, verse 3 says, for the scepter of wickedness. All right, so anytime that you see scepter in Scripture, right, that's always talking about uh, the authority because the scepter uh, was taken and it was given to Jesus. All right, so you'll see that the scepter is representative of authority. So let's translate this. The authority of wickedness shall not rest upon the land of the righteous. The authority of evil will not rest upon the land of those who practice righteousness. All right, let's go to Daniel. Daniel chapter 10. I know I'm skipping around a little bit, making it difficult on you. Um, here, I'm going to read off of the screen. Daniel chapter 10. It says, Then he said to me, this was an angel talking to Daniel, Do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Let's stop there. That word. All right, so if you go to BibleHub.com uh, and click on the interlinear translation, 
right? What that does is it actually expands out the Hebrew for you. So then you can click on the different Hebrew words and see what it's actually meaning in context. And so if you look at this, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is interesting too because in verse 1, uh, it is, it, it is uh, said that the Cyrus was the king of Persia. So now all of a sudden we're bringing in this idea of a prince and other princes uh, of Persia, the kings of Persia. Now here's the thing, Cyrus was the king, so how are there extra kings? How are there extra princes? Well, it's because if you look at the translation, it's actually a demon that is angel. There is a fallen angel. There is a demon that is reigning over the kingdom of Persia. You go and you look it up. There is a, a fallen angel that is ruling over the kingdom of Persia. And he was withstanding the angel Gabriel for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, and this is the other side of the angelic race, right? Michael, one of the chief princes from God, came to help me for I had been left there with the kings of Persia, right? So we can see where in Persia there was a spiritual authority that was over uh, that, that region. We can also see if you go a little bit farther where it talks about the prince of Greece also. So there was also a, a, a fallen angel over the territory of Greece. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Now, this is where uh, Jesus is being led out into the wilderness, and he is being tempted uh, by Satan himself. Matthew chapter 4, New Testament. Come on, Brantley, find it. Here we go. Starting in verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him, that's Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Why, if it wasn't possible for uh, fallen angels such as Satan, if it wasn't possible for fallen angels, you know, demons, to uh, occupy territory, to reign as the ruling spiritual authority over uh, a kingdom, then why does Jesus not correct Satan whenever he offers him all of the kingdoms? Because we were given authority over the earth. We were given the authority. And then what happens is, is we choose who we want to rule over us. We are given authority over the earth. And then we choose to say, I want to worship something other than God. And now, all of a sudden, we see where a spiritual authority, a spiritual official, if you will, has been elected to rule over a kingdom. So, whenever Satan says, I'll give you all these kingdoms, here's the thing. Jesus, being the Son of God, he is the ultimate authority. But here on this earth, he chose to operate within the bounds of an earthly body. He chose to operate that way. And so what he does is he doesn't deny the fact that Satan can't give him that authority. What he does is he says, whoa, 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 see, I can see past this. I don't have to worry about you giving me the authority. I just have to worry about people worshiping God. Because, yes, you do have the rule and reign over all these kingdoms. And then, so Satan is kind of at the top of this, and then all of a sudden you see where, well, there's a prince of Persia, there's a prince of Greece, right? There's, there's hierarchy that trickles down. 
And so, like, I know that this, this sounds, man, this, this may be a little bit deep, but, but I, I need you to track along with me because it affects your personal life and it affects your family life. It affects your neighborhood. It affects your city. It affects your business. Because if you can understand that spiritual powers that are not godly can inhabit territory, both great and small, working their way down the hierarchy, then you can understand how to start taking back your family life. You can start to understand how to step into the middle of the plague, like in Numbers chapter 16, right? Whenever that plague is started and death is starting to spread, you've got to understand there is a method to the madness. There is a method to how death Death is spreading, and so there has to be a method for how we attack that death and stand in the gap. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And we're actually going to see where Jesus kind of deals with this and, and, and understand a little bit more how, all right, so how does this actually work then, okay? Like, I'm with you, I see it in scripture, but how does it work? How, how do you elect evil spiritual officials over your life? Well, Jesus deals with this here, um, and it, it goes a little bit farther than even what I had seen before. Um, so we're going to spend a little bit of time here in, in chapter 5 of Mark. Uh, so they came, that's Jesus and the disciples. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed before him. Shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Now, that's interesting. See, this, this demon, well, this, this mass quantity of demons presenting themselves as one, Right? Even they understood that the only, but God alone, right? So they're still saved them. Satan couldn't save them from the Son of God and his authority, but God alone, right? So there's still some sort of communication there, which just absolutely baffles me, okay? It's crazy, but, but even the demons understood there is ultimate authority that's even over us. That's important for us to remember. There is ultimate authority over demonic forces. I implore you by God, do not torment me, for he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? The demon said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began, that's the demon, he began to implore Jesus earnestly not to send, him, send them out of the where? Yeah, out of that region, out of that country. That's interesting. Why was he imploring him not to send him out of the region instead of don't send us out of this man? Because once again, we can see where the enemy has occupied this territory. The land of the Gerasenes was actually the land of the Decapolis. That's, that's 10 cities, okay? It's 10 cities amongst the region, and they were Baal worshipers. Let's keep reading. 
And he began to uh, implore him earnestly not to send them out of the region. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave permission and coming out the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and, and reported it in the city and the country. And the people came to see what it was that, was ha- that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore Jesus to leave their region. All right, we're going to pause there. So, the reason why Legion was asking not to be sent out of the country is because those, those ten cities were Baal worshipers. The swine on the hill, that wasn't an accident. The swine on that hill, they were being raised to be sacrificed to Baal the idol. All right? It was very common practice. That's what they did. And, and here's the thing. So, that's, that's where we can start to see the election process happen. They were sacrificing, or they were sacrificing pigs to the idol Baal. They were worshiping this idol Baal. And so, you know, worship, it's, it's difficult for us at times to translate because we don't sacrifice pigs, or at least if you do, you're weird. <laughs> All right, and we'll pray for you. That, that's just not what we do. So we don't like sacrifice pigs, animals, all of that kind of stuff, right? That, that's just not what we do, at least in this culture. In other cultures, they still do this kind of stuff, right? But in the American society, worship, it takes on a little bit of a different take, okay? It, it looks a lot different for us. And so uh, they were choosing to elect legion over their country by worshiping Baal instead of God. The way that that looks for us. All right, let's break it down to just a personal level. All right, so you, you go into work one day, right, and you've been busting your tail for who knows how many years, how many months. You know, you, you had a lot to prove, and so you're really doing a good job at work, all right? You've done a great job, but you're getting tired, all right? You're getting tired because now, you know, I don't know if any, I'm not allowed to say that. I'm going to say it anyway. Anybody remember the Budweiser commercial, Leon Can't Do It All? Yes. Okay. Leon can't do it all, right? So everything's get, getting piled on to Leon, right? And so Leon's going into work. He's doing a good job, but everything keeps getting piled on because Leon's doing such a good job. And now his boss is like, hey, man, listen, I need you to go fix Gary's computer, right? Go fix Gary's computer because you're the only guy that knows how to do this. And you're like, no, dog, I've had it. I'm done. I have done so much for this company. Boss, I have done your job, I've done Gary's job, I've done Lisa's job, you know, I've done, I've done everybody's job. And I, you know what, I don't need to do y'all's job anymore. So boss, I know what you're telling me to do, Gary can figure it out. Or since you're the boss, you go figure it out. Maybe you don't say it quite like that, but, well, some of you do. <laughs> Maybe you don't say it quite like that but that's your heart. Like, no. And so you choose in that moment to be disrespectful of your boss instead of handling the situation the correct way, right? And so you're like, no, I know that, I know that what I'm doing right now isn't necessarily right, but daggummit, I am entitled to not doing any more here. 
I don't deserve to have to go do any more for my boss. He can do his own job. I don't have to go do Gary's job. He should be able to do his own job. I'm entitled to sit here and enjoy the rest that I have because I did all my work. I don't need to compensate for everybody else. Right? And so now all of a sudden, you've given in in a moment to this idea of entitlement. And you know that it's not right, but you continue to do it. Well, let's take that home, okay? Because you've been at work, and, and it, that's happened at work, but now all of a sudden you go home. I shouldn't work in all day. There's, there's all these dishes everywhere. I shouldn't have to come home and clean all the dishes because I've been working hard at work, so I should be able to just go sit on the couch, chill out, and let somebody else do them. And now all of a sudden, that entitlement starts creeping into your house. And you know that it's not right. But you are so fed up with having to do things for everybody else. And you, you, you walk into your bedroom, you're like, I see all the clothes. Man, I shouldn't have to deal with that. I see the kids acting crazy. I shouldn't have to deal with these kids. And so now, all of a sudden, over the course of time, decision after decision after decision is just one more vote. It's one more vote just over your personal life, one more vote for that spirit of entitlement to creep into your life. And now, all of a sudden, you've elected it as the official over yourself. But then it, it goes deeper than that. Because if you've got kids, you are the authority to your kids. You're the authority to your kids. And since you've elected an authority of entitlement over yourself, now all of a sudden, your kids not only have to respond to you, but they also have to respond to that spirit of authority that you've elected over your family. And now what happens is you start to see the disrespect from your children. And like, we don't want to call it that, right? Like, and and that's, what, that's what's crazy to me is that like, we have answers. We have answers that are spiritual, but we always want to make it about behavior modification. Is it partially behavior modification? Go back and listen to last week. Sure, partially behavior modification, but I'm telling you right now, there are spiritual forces. You go into Ephesians chapter 6. There are spiritual forces of darkness that work against us, right? And it doesn't help whenever we elect officials over our lives and over our kids' lives. So now, all of a sudden, that kid that you thought was just disrespectful just because they're going through a phase, well, it's not that they're just going through a phase. It's they're responding to the spirit that you positioned over your household. And so now you have children who are disrespectful and entitled to whatever they have. They always need more. Why? It's not because they're not grateful. It's because they're responding to the authority that you put there. That's a, that's a hard lesson for us to learn. You start seeing stuff in your children, you need to be asking yourself, what spirit have I positioned in authority over my household? You see a spirit of sickness, you see a spirit of perversion, your kids are a good indicator of that. They're going to see a hand to authority in them before you do in yourself. Because they're quicker to respond to authority, whether you like it or not, they're going to be quick to respond to that authority. And so you're wanting to know, hey man, what's going on in my household? Look to your kids. If you have kids, look to them. What am I seeing in my kids? And then all of a sudden, you start praying and identifying the spirit that's over your household. 
And this can translate, right? So the, the way that this works, as we have more and more people that kind of come into the same uh, uh, mindset, right? The same mindset of maybe entitlement. Maybe it's the same mindset of uh, maybe a spirit of poverty that's over, over your family, right? Uh, maybe it's a, a, some other kind of spirit, a spirit of, uh, a spirit of cohabitation, right? I, I don't know what it is, right? But then all of a sudden you have lots of different people that choose to engage in things that they know are not from God. They choose to engage in things that they know are not biblical. They choose to engage in sin, whether that's big sin or little sin, right? We like to, we like to categorize big sin versus little sin, right? Are you moral or immoral? Well, you can be moral and still make mistakes and still intentionally make mistakes, right? And so we like to categorize these things, but like people start looking for the different routes to go. Maybe it's drunkenness, right? Maybe, maybe, Maybe that spirit of entitlement has worked on your heart, and you're like, you know what, man, I've been, I've been good for a while, I've been sober for a while, and so I deserve another drink, right? Maybe that's, maybe that's where it starts, and it doesn't look like anything crazy. That's why the spirit officials over people's lives are so tricky, because they're looking for any avenue that you can get to them, because they're not looking for you to sacrifice a pig. They're looking for you to sacrifice your values. Dang, that was good. That just happened. You wonder why you can't catch a break, and it's probably because you're breaking God's commands. Like, you, you've, been, you've been watching this happen over the course of 20 years in your life, and you're like, dang it, Brantley, why can't I catch a break? I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, and it doesn't ahead. It's like I get a little bit ahead, and then I come back five steps. I, I just can't seem to get ahead. Maybe you can't catch a break because you're breaking God's commands. And, and you are sacrificing the values of God and electing spirits and powers that are not from God over your life. And whenever a lot of us start getting together, let's just say in a church, in, in not the church, but just in a church. Whenever a lot of people start pursuing ungodly things together, even though you come to church, Right? All of a sudden, what can start happening is as a body, you can start to elect officials other than the Holy Spirit over your body. You can start to elect spirits and officials over your business. You walk in, maybe you are a business owner in here. You walk into your business and you're like, man, everything seems to be failing. Uh, the, the morale seems to be in the toilet. Maybe you need to start praying to be shown what the spirit is that's been elected over your business so that you can then start to address those issues. So, all right, Brantley, let's say that all of this makes sense, but how do we, how do we deal with it? How do you deal with it? Well, I want to I take a look back here at Mark chapter 5. Because Jesus does something way more profound than just casting out demons from a man, right? Jesus understands the principles of election. And so what he does is he sees the pigs up on the hill, and the demons are not smart enough to know that those pigs are going to run down and die. They don't know that. They're thinking they can hang out in the land, and for a time, they'll just be in the pigs, which are going to get sacrificed to worship them anyway, Right? And so it's just going to continue on this spirit of election. Uh, and, and so they're just trying to get out of the man to, to, to get out of Jesus' way. Jesus, though, uh, being linked completely with the spirit, knows 
those pigs are going to run into the water and they're going to drown. He can provide a little bit of space so that then they're going to have time where they cannot elect a new official. So whenever those pigs go into the ocean or, or into the sea and they drown, what ends up happening is those spirits are sent to Sheol where they have to be re-released. They have to be re-released, and so there is at least some kind of period of time where now the pigs, the ability for them to sacrifice is now gone. So they have a period of time where they cannot re-elect those spirits over them. And Jesus knows, I can uh, idol worship because these people aren't going to be happy that I removed their, their, their prophets or their uh, idol worship. They're not going to be happy with me, but I can still speak to them. This is how he speaks to them. He removes the pigs. He removes the spirits just for a time because he doesn't cast out the spirits. He doesn't remove the authority. He still operates the way that Jesus does on the earth. He still chooses to be submissive to the ruling authority in that country, but he's smarter than the ruling authority. And so he says, you go into the pigs. Pigs, you're going to drown. Now I've removed the possibility for them to elect that official again, at least for a short period of time. I'm going to create space. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And Jesus did not let him. It's not because Jesus was mean, but because Jesus had a mission to accomplish. He said, I got a limited amount of time. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he, that's the demon-possessed man, or ex-demon-possessed man, went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis all ten cities. Jesus went to the Gerasenes, which is part of the ten cities, but then the man went out to the Decapolis, all ten cities. And he proclaimed in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Here's what's interesting. A few chapters later, you see where crowds are now following him from that region. Crowds are following Jesus from that region. Jesus goes and he's able to perform miracles there. These are the same people that asked him to leave. But Jesus understood the power of election. He understood the authorities that were over them. And he said, okay, I know how to do this. I can create space. And they're going to ask me to leave, but they can't ask this miracle man to leave. They're not going to ask him to leave. And he's going to go preach my word for me. And now, without the space for them to elect the official again... Now they have space to hear from God. They have space to hear from God. And so he can penetrate their hearts in just an instant. And now just a few chapters later, we find where crowds are following Jesus. Here's the thing. If you want to start taking out the spiritual authorities that you've positioned over your life, right? Start with yourself, okay? Because you can't, just like Jesus couldn't go in or he chose not to go in and just remove authority. We can't do that. We can't just say, all right, authority over cities, you're gone, right? We can't do that. But what we can do is we can affect ourselves. We can affect the officials over our lives. And then we can start progressing and affect the officials in other lives. But the way that you do that is you got to create space. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you spend most of your time watching Facebook sermons, Right? You're not creating that space. Not in the same house, that positioned and elected an official over your house, and you're trying to receive the word of God in the same house that you positioned an ungodly official over, it's going to be dang hard for you to uh, receive the word of God in that moment, in that space, because there's a different, it's not occupied by the Holy Spirit. You've elected another official. 
And, and, and so you've got to be able to say, you know what, I've got to create space as well. And so that's why I advise coming to church on a consistent basis. It's not because we need the seats filled, but it's because you need your heart filled. And, and so you need to be able to, to identify those spirits and get out, get out, out of that territory, make your way in, and then you can start to allow the, the, the spirit of God to penetrate your heart. And whenever he starts penetrating your heart and you see, ah, oh man, I've, I've elected a spirit of entitlement or maybe it's a spirit of pornography. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a spirit of drunkenness. Maybe it's a spirit of gossip over my house. Man, I can't keep relationships. Maybe that's, what, maybe that's what's happened. Get out of that space. Get out of that space because it's enemy-occupied territory. And get into a space that you know is occupied by the Holy Spirit so that then he can speak into your heart. And listen, here's what you need to do, okay? If you're taking notes, I, I hope you're taking notes or, or something. Go back and listen to this again, right? What you need to do, whenever you identify that there is a spiritual official that is not godly over your life, first thing that you need to do after you make space is repent. Repent. You turn from the sin. You turn from the sacrifice. And it may not feel normal, but that's part of enslaving the flesh. This all goes hand in hand. You've got to enslave the flesh. And the first step to enslaving the flesh is repenting of your actions that are anti-godly. And then you've got to cancel out that election. And you say, Lord, I know that I have been gossiping. I know that I've been entitled or whatever it is. Lord, I turn from that. Lord, it was never my intent to elect anybody except you over me. In the name of Jesus, I cancel that contract. I cancel that legal right for them to be there. I cancel that election in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I want to receive your spirit instead. And you pray, Lord, help me to elect you, God, this week. Help me to elect you today. Help me to elect you over these next few moments. And so you repent, you cancel, and you receive. You repent, you cancel, and you receive. Receive that spirit of God over your life. And see if you don't start affecting your family. See if you don't community. Think your workplace. See if you don't start affecting your community. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word, God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, I just pray that Lord, as I speak today, God, that the ears of the deaf will be opened, God. Lord, that the hearts of stone will be made hearts of flesh, God, at least for an instant so that you can speak into that heart, God. Lord, I pray that we can go home and see the sacrifices that we've made that are not for you, God. We can cancel those out, Lord. We can repent, God. And we can instead establish your spirit over ourselves, establish your spirit over our families. God, that we can start affecting the people that are around us, God, and show them, Lord, God, that we can, we can make space with them, Lord, that, that then we can provide a safe place 
for those around us who are still in darkness, God, for those around us that are still in distress, God, for those who still feel worthless, God, for those who feel like there's no hope, God, Lord, help us to make a space, Lord, in our lives, God, the space where we elect you as the official over our lives so that they can enter in, God, they can have some rest from the oppression that they live under, God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, God, we pray your blessings on this, God. We pray a blessing over our lives. We pray a blessing over our families, God. Help us to repent, God. Help us to turn towards you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, and help us to receive your spirit, God, to cancel any contract, Lord, God, to cancel any vow, Lord, in the name of Jesus, God. Change our hearts, Lord. Change our lives, Lord. Change our community, God. Change this church, Lord. Oftentimes, you need to borrow faith. Sometimes you need to borrow off of somebody else. If you're listening to this message and you're thinking, man, this is me, I've got to go home and make some changes. I've got to change who has been elected over my household. And you just want a little extra increase of a measure of faith this morning. I want to pray specifically for you. If you are bold enough to say that that's you, would you raise your hand and I just want to pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, God. Lord, impart to them right now an extra measure of faith. Impart to them right now an extra measure of motivation that is strictly divine, straight from you, Lord. Strengthen their mind, strengthen their willpower to go home and not rest until they see that the spirits that they have elected will fall in the name of Jesus because you are the ultimate authority. We love you, God, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.